Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode. We have a fantastic guest for you today. I'm so excited to introduce Molly Powell. She is the founder of Pink Camel Recruitment, and she is also the founder of Pink Camel Gifts. She will have a lot to share with us, and I'm so excited to have her here. Molly, welcome. Hi, that was some introduction, thank you. <laughs> yes, um, I've been asking you for a while to, to please join me, and I'm so glad that you can come here and, and share a little bit more about yourself, about your thoughts, uh, about your journey in life. So I just wanted to know, um, where are you from and how did you get where you are now? Getting straight into it. I like it. <laughs> um, so I'm from the UK, right in the middle, called Coventry. It's near Birmingham. Probably people know that a little bit more than, than Coventry. Um, and the million dollar question, why Dubai? So I came here on holiday when I was younger, just a couple of times. So. For me, Dubai always held really, you know, good memories. Um, and I had a very stable job, was very good at what I did back home in recruitment. Mm -hmm. And I think moving here, I got the opportunity, um, I got a job offer, and literally two weeks later, I was on a one-way flight to Dubai. You know, didn't know a single person, um, sold my house, all my belongings. I think everybody at the time thought it was the most ludicrous idea ever. They were like, why are you walking away? You're so good at your job. You know, you've got all this money, you've got your house, you've got your life. Um, but for me, I'm not one to ever stay comfortable. And I was very comfortable at the time. So I'm always one to kind of push myself and want to develop my skills and yeah, make myself a better person really. So for me, I saw moving to Dubai as a huge challenge. Um, and a challenge that was. So yeah, I mean, three and a half years later, here I am and with two amazing companies and some more exciting news coming up. So yeah, super excited to be here and tell you a little bit about my story. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. And when everybody tells you, don't go, stay here, you, you have a good life here. Um, how, how did you know uh, or how could you explain to them that it's going to be all right? You can't. I don't think there's anything that you can say that's going to make them feel at ease. I think, you know, I was old enough to make my own decisions and they mm -hmm. just needed to trust me in the process. Um, they always knew that I kind of didn't like to conform and, you know, I was always kind of pushing myself out of my comfort zone. So for me, they just had to trust me and I'm lucky that they did that and they supported me every step of the way. Um, but the journey wasn't an easy one. <laughs> it's arguably been the, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, the most rewarding, of course. I think that the things that um, come at the highest reward yeah. <laughs> are the most difficult. So it's been a learning experience for sure. But I've been very lucky to have a good support system around me. None locally, but you know we have Zoom, we have Skype, and everything. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's not easy when you don't know anybody and you start over and you need to prove yourself. Yeah. Um, but you have uh, proven yourself. You have two great companies right now. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the journey? How has that been? I mean, you came here three and a half years ago. You had nothing. <laughs> you didn't know anybody. And now you have two companies and you have been also involved in, in other companies as an investor and you, you're busy with, with new things. Mm. So how what happened in, in that time? That's a great question. I think I'll start from the beginning. It's probably the easiest, easiest part for me to start. So 
at school, I was one of the kids that, you know, I, I, I wasn't the best kid in the world. I was kind of really naughty and I always got kicked out and, you know, just education wasn't for me and that's fine. I don't think education is for everybody. And I was the one that was always being told, you know, you'll never amount to anything and you won't ever be anybody. But I always knew, don't tell me what it is, call it a sixth sense, call it something. Something was in my DNA that I was going to, you know, be someone, I was going to be successful. And that was so deep rooted in my soul that I had to make that a reality. So for me, um, leaving school, I still remember the day collecting my GCSE results. My mom was crying. She was like, how are you ever going to get a job? Um, yeah, it was a really, really sad time. But I just knew there was just a piece in me that thought, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to prove to everyone that I can do it. Um, so I started my first job and it was, you know, washing dishes <laughs> in a pub. It wasn't the most glamorous, but um, yeah, I mean, I did that and worked my way up to then becoming a waitress. And it all sounds so trivial now, right? But at the time, it was a really huge thing, like getting promotion, your first promotion out of school. Um, and yeah, became work behind a bar and I would work double, triple shifts, uh, you know, trying to get as much money as I could. And then I kind of got my first proper job and my first proper job, <laughs> we call it proper jobs. It's the first job out of high school, right? That's full time. Um, and I posted an ad on Gumtree, which here is, is kind of similar to Debizzle. And I went, hi, I'm Molly, I'm looking for a job. Like I was, you know, 17 years old at the time. So I didn't know what else to do. LinkedIn wasn't a thing back then. Mm -hmm. So I got headhunted for this job in this hotel and it was um, selling wedding and events. And for me, I'd always dreamt of weddings and it was just my dream job. And I just remember, you know, organizing other people's weddings and, and everything was just amazing. So yeah, got that job, worked in it for a couple of years, really worked hard, proved myself. I think that's something that's always been installed in me is working hard, working as hard as I possibly can, always with something to prove. I don't know whether that's to myself, to my old teachers, to my family, who knows? Um, but yeah, working hard and then got promoted from coordinator to supervisor to manager. Um, and four years later, I was, you know, 20 years old and managing a hotel of nearly 200 people. So I was the youngest person in the company and I was the boss and that came with some challenges. Um, so then when I finally got to the top of my career in hospitality, I thought, you know, well, what next? Again, never want to be in comfort zones. I thought, okay, well, what's another challenge that I can face? What's another thing that I can do to improve myself and to learn and to grow? Um, and my friend at the time owned a recruitment company and, you know, he was the one that was driving the Lamborghinis and, you know, had this amazing life and someone that I really aspired to be and, and someone that I really looked up to. Um, so, yeah, left my job in hospitality, was earning, you know, good money and then started all over again within recruitment. Uh, earning, I don't know, just whatever minimum wage back then 10 years ago was. Um, and then, yeah, my job in recruitment started and I was the only female in the company. And I remember on my first month or something, we had um, top biller and whatever your sales were, whoever had the highest sales was the top biller of the company. Um, and I was kind of picked on for being the only girl and going, oh, you know, you're not going to be any good at this because it is a very, very male dominated environment, especially within kind of technology. Um, and I remember saying to them, I'm going to be top biller, you know, next year, you watch this space. And they all laughed at me going, oh, come on, you know, shut up. 
And then as soon as they saw me, I was coming into the office at six o'clock in the morning and I was not leaving until 10, 11 o'clock at night. I would come in every single weekend. I was working 100, sometimes 110 hours a week to prove myself. Um, and then, yeah, next year I was top pillar in my company and they all had to eat their words. So that was a really satisfying feeling. Um, and then, yeah, top pillar came and then the second year top pillar again and then third year top pillar again. And then again, I got to the top and I was earning, you know, money that some people only could have dreamed of. And then, yeah, walked away from it all again to start again. I think there's a pattern here. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, joined an agency here in Dubai. And shortly after, obviously, COVID happened and they made everybody redundant and then joined another agency. And I could just see some mistakes that I guess other companies that were making that I probably wouldn't do. And, you know, I would run my company probably a little bit differently to how that company was being run. And um, yeah, it was kind of, I was forced to either go back to the UK because I didn't really agree with how agencies were being run out here or set up on my own. And for me, going back to the UK was, was failing. So failure just wasn't an option. So yeah, Pink Camel Recruitment was launched and that was, just over two years ago now and the time has flown. Mm -hmm. But I still remember, like, I've been very lucky. Katie's been with me since day one. She's now our recruitment manager and she's my right-hand person. And um, me and Katie used to work from my living room at the time in this tiny little living room and we crammed two desks in. I still remember the feeling the day before we were launching and it was the scariest but the most exciting feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you feel like, oh my goodness, is this going to work out? And we were very much of the perception, okay, we'll give it a go, and if it doesn't work out, at least we've tried. But I know, like, I'm very stubborn and I'm very resentful. So I know that if I'm going to put some my mind to something, I'm going to make it happen and make it a reality. So, yeah, we launched, and here we are, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one one great journey to be in and it's still ongoing still ongoing yeah it's always going to be ongoing it's always room for improvement um we are like people see us as some of the leaders in the industry which is amazing we've won various different awards mm -hmm. and i'm so proud of my team where we are this isn't just on me you know this mm -hmm. isn't just a one person band this is you know the realization of my team's efforts and yeah, it's just working together and we're just like a little family. It's it's great. It's really good. Yeah, I remember a story you shared on LinkedIn where uh, you were going out um, and then somebody approached you at the beach, I believe, uh, and, and just wanted to say something nice about what you were doing. I know. I yeah. can actually get really emotional. Huh. Um, yeah, it's all right. Because I think some deep down, I think it's, um, I like to help people. Yeah. I really like to help people. And I don't know whether that's the reason that I'm in recruitment is to help people, whether that be get their dream job or get back into work or, you know, we help a lot of companies with gender diversification or getting more women into the workplace. Um, but just helping people is so important. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've created a platform where I do have the ability to help people and I think People recognize that when people acknowledge that and I'm out in the street and it will happen more frequently than I'd like to admit. And it's just so overwhelming to me when they go, you know, I follow you on LinkedIn or, you know, I've been following your journey for a while and what you're doing is so incredible. And that for me is, is what I've done it for. Forget about the financial, forget about anything like that. 
for me, being able to help people and just, yeah, it, it's just so much more, so yeah. much more. Yeah, and, and you, you're making an impact, right? Because you're giving people the opportunity to, to get a job and, and, and not just a job, often a better job or like you said, to get back into the field. Um, and also, can you share a little bit more about the program that you have where you allow um, the, the unheard people to, to, to get uh, to post their video or their picture or their CV uh, and then that, that gets exposure as well? Yeah, there's actually a story that's quite relevant to that question and I'm not going to name his name because I don't want him to get embarrassed, but mm -hmm. I was driving down the street and it was this time last year, so it was the peak of summer, it was 40 degrees in Dubai and there was this guy at the side of the road and he was holding up a piece of paper saying that he was out of work, looking for work and with his contact number. And I just pulled over to the side of the road and I just, I'm just one of these people that if I see someone in need or I just, it, you know, it was the middle of the day. It was, mm -hmm. it was so hot. So I pulled over, first of all, to ask if he wanted any water and then second of all, to understand his story. And it turns out that he'd came over for a job and then COVID happened, lost his job. Like many people, he was an expat in the country that was supporting his family back home. And he'd lost his job and, you know, he had no job now for, for over six months, had no income. And, um, you know, he wasn't the most experienced person in the world, but his attitude, like mm -hmm. the skill set that he did have was so transferable into so many different roles. But there was just no one giving, giving him a chance. So he was having to result to going on the streets because he didn't have a computer, he couldn't afford it, he didn't have internet, you know, he was getting kicked out of his accommodation. Um, so I agreed to meet up with him later that day and, you know, buy him some, you know, clothes that he could go to interviews in and buy him some food because he told me he hadn't had a hot meal. Just, just give, trying to give back to somebody that was clearly in need. But anyway, the reason that I'm saying this is because what happened then was, was incredible. So took a picture of this guy with his permission, posted it on LinkedIn. Um, and the LinkedIn community fully supported and I think the picture had over 70,000 likes. He had like over 20,000 comments of people trying to help and share with the community. Um, and then after that, he rang me going, he had 10 job interviews the next day. So he was like, what am I gonna do? So I prepped him for all his interviews, had an interview, and then two days later he had a new job. And I cannot tell you Obviously, there was no fear attached to the placement, but that is the best hire that I've ever made. You know, when something makes your heart feel warm, it just yeah. made my heart feel warm and it made me think, I'm doing the right thing. That was the right thing to do. But just being able to help people, not necessarily that are working to get their dream jobs, but people that are outside of work. So we're um, partnered with one of the leading banks here who have a returning to work scheme. So they have a whole scheme dedicated to people that have been out of work for six to 12 months or longer that want to get back into work, whether that be mums or dads that have come back from maternity or paternity leave. So just getting those people returning back into the workforce. So being able to be a part of that and give other people a platform to get a job and support their family and themselves is, is incredible. It's a really nice feeling. Absolutely. And you continue that program, right? Where you will post people's story that yeah. really were not able to, uh, to normally get uh, exposure. 
well, if something works for one person, it's going to work for other people. And whilst, you know, you don't want to flood people's news feeds, I'm very conscious that people don't want to see tw mm. 10, 20 posts a day of this, you know. I try to give as many people a platform and a voice as possible without it being frustrating for other people, because I appreciate that not everybody wants to see that, but as much as I can within reason, yeah. Yeah. And also, during your, your journey, you explained uh, as well that um, there, was, there was always this feeling inside that you will be all right. Mm -hmm. um, and this is uh, maybe just a little bit like the self-confidence or self-belief. Uh, how can you how can you build that up or is that just in you i think a lot of it comes down to your environment so my dad was an entrepreneur mm -hmm. it was in roofing but he was still an entrepreneur he worked really hard same with my mum. you know she was a single parent bringing me up so mm -hmm. i had around me really strong role models um but the, even before that there was just something i can't explain it it's just something inside me something in my dna when I was at school, everybody else wanted to be footballers or singers or models or whatever it may be. I was the one going, well, I'm going to have my own business at mm -hmm. 10 years old. Like, I don't know how else to explain yeah. it. Um, and then since then, always pushing myself, always wanting to do more, whether that be in business, my personal life, always wanting to grow as a person, but helping as many people as you can. Because the worst thing that you want to do is grow and develop yourself and not help other people around you. Um, but still also remaining humble and thankful for what you have achieved and what you have in life. You know, we're very lucky. We're very blessed to be able to sit here looking out at this amazing view and living in an amazing country and being around, you know, all of this. We're very lucky. So other people aren't so lucky. So if we can, you know, help anyone else in the process, then I think that's just a nice thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and... I actually had a conversation with uh, with a client of mine uh, sometime back about this topic specifically. He said that he he contributes a lot of his success to giving back and giving. Um, and then he told me a story, some stories about what he did, and he gave his like sister-in-law like a new car. <laughs> it's like I'm like, okay, there's giving and there's giving, you yeah. know? Yeah. No, <laughs> he, he gave said, me he a new car. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, like yeah. See, but he was so happy with it. He's like so happy and she's so happy every time she sees me just I, he just lightened up completely uh, and he was not as happy when he said that he bought some things some, some items similar values um, and I could see that from him mm. that 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 really made him happy but at the same time um, I think you're only able to be in a position to help people if you yourself are to a certain degree successful yeah and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? A hundred percent. You've got to have the means in order to give back. If you don't have the means, even just time, you know, yeah. just time is all you need sometimes. Um, but I think there's definitely something in giving rather than just taking it for yourself. Like it's so much, like you said about your client, it's so much better to give to someone else rather than give to yourself. You know, at holidays, you know, giving presents feels so much better than receiving presents. So yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's something that I want to talk a little bit more about, about, uh, about your company. Uh, the name is uh, Pink Camo. 
recruitment. So how did you come up with, with pink? I clearly see you like pink, right? Yeah, pink of course. Is something Who that, doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> pink is my favorite color. Obviously, yeah. I'm wearing a pink shirt today. But other than that, oh, the name, the name, the name, the name. I had a 25-page business plan. I knew exactly what Pink Camel was going to be. I knew what it was going to represent. I knew the strategy. I knew where we were going to take this. I could see it so clearly, but what I couldn't see was the name. Mm. But I'm not joking, Simon. For months, I was going, right, okay, so it's going to be... And I always had Pink Camel in the back of my head, but I thought at the time, I was like, no, something like Pink Camel, but not Pink Camel. Um, and I just remember going to everyone, something like Pink Camel, but not Pink Camel. And I'd t even like strangers, I'd go, okay, I'm setting up a business. I think of names and we'd, we'd kind of just spitball the names. Yeah. And then um, there's a company back in the UK called Cranberry Panda. And that for me always stood out. I thought it was marketable. I thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted something similar to that. And I'd go from like Purple Pig to, you know, all of these different brands and different names and different ideas. Um, and in the end, Pink Camel just became so apparent because one, obviously we're female only. We're not only female owned, but the whole of Pink Camel is fully female. Mm -hmm. A big part of our USP and selling point is that we help companies with gender diversification, especially within technology and IT. Um, I think there's a definite gender gap when it comes to technology, especially in the Middle East. So um, yeah, that's the big USP that we have. Um, and I think just tying that into the name was really important. So pink, obviously, for what I've just said, and then camel, because, you know, we're in the middle of the desert and we are based here. And um, I think it was something that stuck out and people would remember. It's not something you come across every day. Yeah, definitely. When, when, when I saw it for the first time, just stick somehow. You're like, <laughs> it's, it's like camel is relatable yeah. to, the, to the region, but then pink, you're like, why pink? Why the two things? Why uh, there is no yeah. pink camel, and because of that, you kind of like I don't know. Yeah, but you should see our office. It's just like a little girl's dream. It's just completely pink, pink chairs. Um, we've got a big pink camel in the office. So pink camels don't exist to you, but for us, they very much yeah. exist, and they're all in our office. So. So if somebody passes by, they're looking for your office, but they don't know exactly. <laughs> they're like, the just look for the pink one. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the window. Just look for the pinkest office. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just feminine. And I think it stands for, yeah, what I believe in. It's, it's good to, to have something that you, uh, that, that you feel like you can relate to it. And it symbols more than that, mm. just the name. And you also have now... Uh, another company that that is into gifts. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about that? How yeah. did that come out of the... So we obviously expanded the Pink Camel family, mm -hmm. keeping the same name, Pink Camel Gifts. We launched about six months ago. And the reason that I launched it, I'm not into e-commerce. Mm -hmm. Like I've been in recruitment for 10 years. I know recruitment through and through. E-commerce isn't my bag, but I saw a huge gap in the market with some, something as simple as a pen. So if you could believe, all I wanted was a nice, high quality pen with my name on it that wasn't black, silver or blue. You know, I wanted something feminine that spoke to me. Anyway, so a nice quality pen is all I wanted. Could you believe it didn't exist? Searched high and low for just a good quality pen. Did not exist. And out of sheer frustration of this simple product not existing, I then worked with my co-founder, Dia, who's been in fashion and buying for over a decade now. Um, and we developed, you know, the, the simplest but most high quality pen and stationary products to tie into that. 
Um, and then we've expanded our, our product line and things are going really well. So essentially we are a gifting, a personalized gifting company for women, not only in the Middle East, but we do global shipping as well. So again, mm -hmm. tying into that female narrative. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and seeing a gap in the market. And seeing a gap in the market and wanting to buy the products. I mean, I give all of my friends and family all of our products and they're like, oh my goodness, this is so good. Why has no one come up with this before? And it seems so simple. It's just a pen. It's just a high quality pen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I need I needed that, and I'm sure if I need it, then other people need it. So there was a huge gap in the market. Yeah, and do you feel with technology um, that there's like you you talked a little bit about a more and more bridging the gap, creating more of a representation in the technology sector. Um, not only male uh, positions are filled up by uh, by males. Because, mm -hmm. uh, because you know, when they do a replacement, they, they already had somebody with a certain um, profile. I, I saw, for example, that even in the U.S., they they have a low penetration of uh, of females in the tech sector. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe explain to our audience a little bit more about what's going on and how the scenario is right now, and what can be done to to help to improve that? Yeah. Definitely. I think there's always been a huge gender gap when it comes to technology globally. This is just, you know, a common piece of information. Um, I think it, it's more so in the Middle East because, um, yeah, we, it's just so male dominated here in the Middle East. And I think I didn't realize that until coming. Mm -hmm. And we did, you know, a number of placements in my old agency and none of them were female. And I thought, well, what, what's going on? Um, and I know that nationalization to the Middle East have become huge, uh, especially in Saudi, with Saudiization and then um, Emirati hiring here in the UAE. And it was great that um, nationalization piece was being pushed, for sure. But I felt like there should be more on the gender piece as well. And then the more and more I was talking to companies and clients, I think that they were confirming, you know, that they didn't have enough women, especially within senior positions. So. Um, out of that conversation grew, obviously, us supporting with gender diversification and getting more women into the workplace. Not necessarily that are already based here in the Middle East. Of course, that would be our preference, but there just aren't enough women in technology here in the Middle East. So a lot of it, we help, you know, relocate people and women from overseas to relocate in um, to just help close that gap as much as we can. Um, I mean, we're only, a, you know, a small agency in the grand scheme of things, so we can only mm -hmm. help so much. But it's, it's great that we are being able to work with huge global organizations on such an important topic on both nationalization and gender diversification. So any sort of diversification, I think, is becoming more and more important to companies, not only here locally, but also globally. Yes. And, and that also opens the door to, to look at more profiles, right? When, there, when there's so much competition going on, uh, and, and, you know, a company only has a certain profile in mind, but maybe the perfect fit is, um, you know, it's just looking a little bit different. Yeah. But, but the it's per the perfect fit. <laughs> the perfect fit, when what the clients see and what the clients say is never the perfect fit yeah. of who it is that they end up hiring. So <laughs> we try and give the client, we take the client's wish list, of course, mm -hmm. um, and then we go to market and we lean heavily on our database. So we've got over a quarter million candidates in our database globally. So we tend to give them a mixture of, you know, the wish list and things that are outside their wish list. And we always try and put women in. Um, uh, so we've got a mixture of both men and women. 
Um, and it's always funny what they end up hiring. It's, I, I guess it's pretty much like who you envision yourself marrying. It's never really the sort of person that you end up marrying. And it's the same within recruitment and who companies are hiring as well. So I think you've just got to see the options. But a lot of the time, you don't know what it is that you're looking for until it's right there in front of you in an interview. So yeah. we kind of help the companies decide what it is they actually need, whilst listening, obviously, to their needs, wants, and desires. Yes, and I, I think... Um if people are less biased, maybe as well, and, and more objective, they will, they will, they will give people a chance to mm. to pitch themselves or to present themselves. Yeah. Uh, you will see that the person that that is having that uh, that drive and that good representation, that's the person you want. Mm -hmm. And um, I tend to see. I'm also going through processes with interns and stuff like this. Just the. The guys are a little bit timid, and the girls are so driven and so like prepared. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that's the. So, and I see a lot of that. That like for me, it's more about the drive, about the motivation. A lot of things you can learn, but you cannot learn the intrinsic motivation. Yeah, for sure. But we're so lucky in the Middle East that we can hire any nationality from anywhere in the world. You know, before when we were hiring in the UK and Europe, you were yeah. limited to those specific nationalities. In the UK, you can't hire anybody that's not British or doesn't have a valid visa. So you have a very, very small talent pool, whereas here it's the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, not only is Dubai an amazing place to live, or the UAE is an amazing place to live, and everybody wants to live here, you know, for various different reasons, but anybody can also work here. So as a recruitment company, it gives us so many, so many other options that we wouldn't have anywhere else in the world. So you just think anybody could work here, anybody can get a visa, any nationalities can have an opportunity to relocate. Yeah, yeah. I was just having a discussion with somebody about that recently. Um, and for us, it just seems so normal because we are here and we experience this uh, from day to day. But maybe for people that are listening outside of this region, um, how is it possible that people can get a job here while they don't live here and things can be arranged? Because, for example, in the UK or in the Netherlands where I'm from, it's not possible to just do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but why is it possible here that people that apply for jobs can actually get a job and start? So everybody has to have a visa here in the UAE. So visas can be given to anybody of any nationality. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like you said, in the Netherlands or the UK, you can get a visa, but it has to be, you know, it's really, really difficult to get a visa. It has to be a special skill set and everything like that. Here, that doesn't exist. As long yeah. as you have a company or an employer that's willing to your sponsor, that's willing to sponsor a visa, then it's fine. Um, you know, legally, you have to have a visa to work here because you have to have medical insurance and you can't get a visa without medical insurance. So the UAE um, offers visas to any nationality of any skill set so you know we have literally unlimited possibilities for hiring yeah that's great while you have uh, a lot of possibilities you must have faced also some challenges on the way <laughs> what have been in your view some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, in your journey so far are we talking about in recruitment or just in general it's an open <laughs> question <laughs> so you, you you're free to 
to pick out what I, you I guess I'll answer both. So within yeah. recruitment, I guess the biggest challenge of having an unlimited talent pool is that <laughs> you have an unlimited talent pool. So, you know, your searches take a lot longer than it would in the UK because not only can we search here, but we can search globally. So for us, it's a, you know, just an elongated process, but it, it's fine. I guess on the, on the side of recruitment, we have every single post that we do, we receive over 10,000 job applications. So sometimes we'll have a client come to us and say, well, why am I going to pay for recruitment services? Why am I going to not just post a job on LinkedIn? Well, I'll give you one reason why. Because you will receive thousands of applications that you then have to sift and go through. So a lot of our talent hiring, we don't actually post jobs. Um, we headhunt because we understand that the best people aren't necessarily always the ones applying. So we actively have that approach as well. Um, and then I guess on a personal side, I guess the biggest challenge throughout this journey <laughs> Um, it's definitely been having to leave everything behind in the UK, start afresh, move to a country, not only where I didn't know anyone, not only was it a new country, but it was a new continent, but we then went into a global pandemic. So January 2020, moved to Dubai. March 2020, the company that I was working for made redundancies because, um, you know, it was COVID. A lot of companies did make redundancies. Um, and then obviously lockdown happened. So not only did I move to a new country, a new continent, didn't know a single person. Um, I had no job, no visa, no healthcare. I was in a shoebox in an apartment that was room for a bed and that was it. And it was then I really started questioning my sanity and thinking, what have I done? You know, there was the time with permits for a thing and we weren't allowed to leave without a permit. And I remember getting fined because I did leave without a permit because I needed to walk <laughs> and I couldn't walk in my apartment. Um, but 2020 was, as I guess it was for most people, but it was the hardest year, the hardest year. I'm not going to cry about it because I'm over it and it makes you a stronger person. There's so much that I learned in that year and I grew so much as a person, even a year later when I was finally able to go back to the UK and see friends and family. Let's go, Molly, you've really changed. Like, you've really grown up. And it's because I had to. Like, it was either sit there and cry or just get on with it and, and get a new job and, you know, work from the ground up to make it a success and make it happen. And, you know, COVID was a horrible thing. But, you know, I don't, I don't regret going through that period because I think with dark times comes happier times and, and then growth at the end of it as well. Yes, and, and clearly something good came out of that. Yeah. Uh, and also maybe the realization at that point, like, okay, why am I in this situation? And what can I do to actually avoid if something, no matter what happens, I don't want to be in the situation anymore. What do yeah. I need to do? Definitely. So that's one thing I've definitely taken into my businesses now is keeping lean for many reasons, really. One, to prioritize the employees that we do have and make sure that they're looked after, whether that be on the financial side or just from the career development side. But also, if we were to go through anything like that again, I don't want to have to make redundancies. I've been at the under other end of that. I know how difficult that was. I know that people support families, whether that be locally or back home, and, and have bills to pay. So I never want to be in a position where I'm having to make people redundant. And let's face it, the market is still quite unstable. You know, people like Google and Microsoft, they're on hiring freezes right now. I mean, luckily, we're busier than ever, which is fantastic. But you never know if another COVID or another pandemic is around the corner. And I think so many other companies are focused on growth and hiring and hiring. And that's amazing if that's what your priority is, but it will mm. never be my priority. I, you know, I don't, 
I don't see that as a priority. As long as we're doing a good job for both our candidates, our clients, looking after everybody, our staff are you know, feeling good and they're looked after, then that for me, I'm doing a good job and nothing else matters. Yeah, and also if you have a small team, but a very good team, you can actually be more productive than, than a bigger team. And yeah. You don't have uh, like uh, mediocrity is more of a, of a standard. Yeah, I would rather have six A players that I mm -hmm. have now than have 20 A, B and C players because why would you want that? I would rather have a superstar team where, yeah. you know, we're all high performing and the energy, I think it's quite, uh, you know, you bounce up into yeah. people's energy and if yeah. one person's doing well and somebody else is yeah, doing yeah, well yeah. and I'd much rather that than, yeah, like you said, mediocrity. Yeah, yeah, like you, like you said as well, the energy that's so, like sometimes you might have a little little dip, but then you see like somebody else is bouncing. You're like, wow, yes, you know, I can pick my yeah. myself up so easy 100%. on that. Uh, and and again, or other people can can look up to you and say, wow, you know, you're smashing it. And yeah, I can do it. I can do it as well. I can go <laughs> for it as well. Yeah. But yeah, my girls are so competitive with each other. Yeah. I mean, they they really care about each other and want each other to succeed. Yeah. But in the same respect, they want to be the top person and the top performer. So we have a, a little bell in the office, and when anyone does a deal, they ring the bell, and they always want to ring that bell, of course, because like, that earns you know means commission and means money. But they're always going against each other, and they're always working hard to make sure that the top performers, and that's what you want within a sales environment. So yeah. that's how I was like when I was in their shoes. So I'm glad that I guess I've either trained them well or I've hired the right people, but they're also, yeah, they remind me of me, and that's what yeah. makes me really proud. But, but healthy competition is good in the sense that, you know, you can laugh with each other afterwards, you can have a good time. It, there's no, like, you know, bad intention behind it. It, it just helps often people to accelerate just a little bit further. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a, a, a colleague in my, in my office and I don't know why, but this year, every week he comes to me and he, want, he just picked some competition with me and he's like, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to catch you up and <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm not in a race with you. You're in a race with me, but in the end, it, it, yeah, it does. But do you not want yeah. to kind of go back and kind of, do you not feel like you want to beat them? Are you not competitive? Of course, he's not going to overtake <laughs> me. Just so. <laughs> yes, I was like at one point, like, it's not going to happen, okay? But, yeah. but he, he's, and in the end, he said, look, I'm just helping you. Yeah. You don't realize it, you will realize it later. Yeah. Um, I think healthy competition is important for yeah. sure. And even sometimes, when it's not very often I get to recruit anymore, which is funny considering I'm a recruitment company, but. Um, when I do recruit, I'm like, I have to get the CVs out immediately. Yeah. And I haven't got time to do it in, in my actual working day. So mm -hmm. that's what my weekends and evenings are for. And I remember that I, I will not put the phone down until I've got the shortlist of this client and I will fill that position quicker than anyone else. So even now, even though I have my team and they're amazing, I still have some competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's good. And you, you feel like, okay, you know, what can I do to make something happen? Yeah. To move the needle. And that thought is, is very uh, positive to have. Mm -hmm. I also think you've got to set an example. Yeah. So imagine if you were working for somebody and they were asking you to work really, really hard and, you know, send CVs as quickly as possible. Good quality CVs, of course, but, you know, um, quickly and of a good quality. And imagine that you were working for someone that didn't do the same or they were just sat doing nothing or, you know, they had this job they couldn't fill. What kind of example does that set? So 
Oh, I, I believe, you know, you command respect because of your presence. Mm. <clears throat> and it's not because of your title. Uh, and and you know, I know some people think that that might be the place, the way that it happens. But even if people don't speak up, they still think it. Mm-hmm. So it's good that you're you're able to set that example yourself, be that role model, have done it, gone through all of it. You can do it if you want, but now you're probably yeah. more focused on bringing the clients in so that the jobs are there mm-hmm. for the team. So. Yeah, Katie always laughs because she says, you're front office, I'm yeah. back office. <laughs> so what she means by that is I go out and speak to all the clients, yeah. get them onboarded, and then shit her and her team will resource the positions. So she always yeah. goes, you know, if we're introducing to a new client, hi, I'm back office, I'm Katie. And yeah. she's brilliant at what she does, but it just makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to lead by example. Yeah. Yeah, but it definitely helps that I have been there, I've done that, got the t-shirt, I started from the ground up, worked you know, to where I am now. And having worked in every single position imaginable mm-hmm. within recruitment, I think definitely helps. And it helps me be able to give the girls what I think they need and what I would have wanted if, it, if I was in their position. And I think that's the kind of reason that we, we have the retention rate that we have, which is 100% just putting it out there. Um, but yeah, just being able to give the girls things that I wish another company had given me um, is important and is valuable. And if you give people what, they, what they're looking for and what they want and what they need, what makes them want to leave? Yeah. So the grass is never greener. People always think the grass is greener. It, the reality of it is nine times out of ten it isn't. And for me, as I said before previously, too many companies are focused on growth. And that is just the wrong thing to be focused on. Because if you haven't got retention, then how are you mm-hmm. going to be able to grow? But there are so many of our competitors and companies that I've worked for in the past that they just focus on the amount of people they've got working in the business and not about actually caring and looking after their employees. Mm -hmm. Like we could quite easily at Prince Campbell hire another 10 people if we wanted to, Mm -hmm. but I need to make sure that my team are looked after and they are getting what they deserve, you know, financially and within career growth and development and everything like that. So their happiness to me is it's more important than my happiness as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, if, if I mean, if you're happy in a job and you're getting everything you need, why would you leave? I guess the, in Dubai, the only risk that we have is if someone wants to relocate, which is quite common. But other than that, I guess could there still, isn't. Right. Could still mean that they could still be part of the team. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're very remote first, even though we have our pink office, of course. Um, we're just about to do six weeks working remotely because it's the summer and let's face it, who wants to come into the office when it's 50 degrees outside? So um, I know Katie's going off to Bali and a couple of the other girls are going off to other locations, whether it be the UK, back to our home countries or wherever. So we definitely have flexibility. And, you know, I'm not one to be in the office nine to six, five days a week. I think it can be really demotivating. So. Um, we're, we're hybrid, yeah, we work from home, work remote, because it is recruitment is a hard job. You do have to work long hours. Quite yeah. frequently, when we're working in America, for example, we have to work within those time zones. So the girls are working evenings, weekends to get shortlisted out. So, you know, I'm not one of these people that say, you have to be in from nine to five or nine to six, whatever it may be. The girls have complete flexibility on their own desk because one, we have that trust there. And two, um, you know, I know how hard they work. And let's face it, they're working for commission. So if they're not working, they're not going to be earning commission. And no one would work in a sales job or especially recruitment without, you know, wanting that commission check at the end of the month. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, you get actually rewarded for your hard work in a fair yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, that's a nice part. But, you know, the other side of the coin is that uh, no result means also no payment. Yeah, exactly. But I'd have to say that the best part of what I do isn't being a boss. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, having my own business. Well, I guess it kind of ties in with that. But the best thing for me is being able to build something where not only do other people want to come into work, but I actually want to come into work. I genuinely look forward to coming into work every single day. Yeah. I look forward to our morning calls. I look forward to speaking with the girls about what they're up to, professionally and personally, because we are you know, very close-knit. We're like a little family, a dysfunctional family, but a family mm -hmm. nevertheless. And just creating an environment that other people want to come into and I, I genuinely want to come into work. It, it's just, it, that is the, that is why I did this. That is, yeah, yeah that is happiness to me, so. Yeah. And it is so important, right? You, you wake up and you, you know, you can almost not wait to start. Yeah. Uh, it's not like, oh, the alarm goes off. I need to wake up. I need to go to the office. Is there any worse feeling of yeah. that or the Sunday fear? We used to have it before, Sunday fear of just going into the office on the Monday or back then it was Saturday when we yeah. worked Sunday to Thursday. And there's that fear of going into the office and what we were going to go into and, you know, not being busy or, or being too busy and having no support. So, yeah, to, to be somewhere. And the girls always come in to work early. They're always in early. They always leave late, even though I go, you know, go home, go work from home. They want to be in the office. And I think the difference of a high performing team and not is that very sentiment. Do they want to come in? Great. You know, nine times out of ten, they'll be high performing. If you don't want to come in, you're not going to be performing. And that's yeah. going to be reflected. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's also... Uh has to do with the environment you're bouncing off also on, on other people you're mm. in a professional setting and you're there for business yeah that's for business but also let's make it fun yeah you know at the end of the contract. day we're in yeah. sales yeah. so let's let's make it as fun as we possibly can yeah. while still remaining professional i'm just going to point out that's also super important but yeah. we have fun like it's it's like working with your friends working with your family yeah um and it's enjoyable so Molly, you have quite a lot of followers on, uh, on LinkedIn. You have personally on your own account, uh, almost 100,000. Mm -hmm. And uh, for your company's account, you have now reached the milestone of more than 120,000 followers. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thanks. And it, how did you do it? Yeah, is it weird that I got jealous when my company overtook my personal LinkedIn <laughs> followers? <laughs> no, obviously it's good. Uh, Pink Camel would me have basically the same anyway. So yeah, great question. And I think that I deserve dividends in LinkedIn, the amount of time that I spend talking about it. I think it is the most important platform that you can use for business. I think using the correct way, it can open up so many doors, it can generate so much revenue. You know, I do 100% of my business on LinkedIn, whether it be clients, candidates, everything in between, everything is on this one platform. So I get really annoyed when people say they're not using it or they have a profile and they haven't, you know, used it for a while. So I thought, why would you not use this amazing tool? So back when I first started recruitment, it was quite old school. I mean, it was over 10 years ago. LinkedIn really didn't exist back then. Um, you know, not a lot of people were using it. And we were targeted by not only the amount of CVs that we sent, but the amount of call time that we did and the amount of outgoing calls. So we had a screen on the board. Um, 
and it basically showed how many calls we've made that day, how long we've been on the phone for. So your days were basically ringing through job boards. And mm -hmm. if you don't know what a job board is, it's like um, Indeed or here we have Nakuri Golf, yep. Golf Talent, where people upload their CVs onto a portal. So we would be those annoying people ringing through, going, hi, got a job, you know, are you interested? But we were calling between nine and six when people are at work. You know, you're not going to answer yeah. and talk about a new job when you're working. So our jobs were literally ringing, leaving voicemails, putting the phone down. That was what I did for, you know, three months of my life until I thought and started questioning myself again, going, this can't be it. There's got to be a smarter way to work. So I started talking to the team and going, does anyone use LinkedIn? Everyone was like, well, what's LinkedIn? You know, never even heard of it, some of them. So created a profile and thought, right, well, let's see if I can do this. So I worked with a client that had quite often a lot of the same roles. So I went, okay, I know that this particular client hires a project manager. I'm going to start connecting with project managers. So when a new job brief comes in, yeah, I can do the calls off the job boards, which of what I've been doing. But I also have a network here of people that, you know, it's much easier to send a message on your phone than it is to pick up, the, pick up a call during working hours. Um, so I started doing that and then my boss at the time would tell me off. He would go, I'm wasting my time on LinkedIn. You know, what are you doing? You should be calling, mm -hmm. having a go at me because my call time wasn't there. He didn't care at the fact that no one answered the phone and I wasn't getting any CVs out. Back then it would take us two, three months to fill a job because, you know, it just took us that long to get hold of candidates. And it was really hard to access talent back then. So I started using LinkedIn and he told me off for doing it during working hours. So I'd do it on my evenings and weekends and started building my network and um, won an award for the quickest placement ever. I had a project manager role come in. I was connected to 100 project managers, sent them all a message and did my first placement in three days, which 10 years ago was just unheard of. So I think then it really clicked in their heads to go, OK, they didn't let me use LinkedIn still during working hours. <laughs> I still had to do that in evenings and Which weekends. Which is unheard of right now, yeah, right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I started to show them that it was something that could work and I wasn't wasting my own time. And then as soon as I did the fourth or fifth placement within a week, then they were like, OK, you can just continue doing that. And then when I was doing it, I would train the other girls and the other people in the office of how to do it. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. It, it was connecting with people. It was posting regularly. It was trying to build a brand, I guess, not only a, a brand for the company I was working at, but also a personal brand. And yeah, from then it just snowballed. I think my first post went viral, had 20 million likes or something, um, which I was like, oh my goodness, watching it every second going, oh wow, it's got all of these likes. And I would tell my mum, and my mum was like, oh, what's LinkedIn? I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, but look. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was a really amazing feeling. And then a lot of people don't know this, but you actually have a cap on the number of connections that you can have. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a cap on the number of followers. You can have a cap on number of connections, which is 30,000. And people think that's a lot. But when you're using it and you're connecting with people, and LinkedIn recruiter didn't exist, so you're having to connect with people. Um, that connection limit, you know, you reach that pretty quickly. So when I relocated from the UK to the Middle East, I had tapped out my connection limit, but obviously there weren't relevant connections to my new market. So I had a profile with 60,000 followers on and all of these lovely recommendations and had to kind of scrap that to then start again. 
so I could start connecting with people again. So then had to start all from square one, not only in my career, but on my LinkedIn. I didn't even have a network to fall back to that I was utilizing before. So it really was like having to start, not even from square one, it was like minus five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I had to build it all over again. But the good thing is that I built it quicker and stronger than ever. So it wasn't just a fluke that I did it back then. It wasn't just one viral post, you know, it's something that I can actually do. And using LinkedIn effectively was the reason that I became top biller, you know, for all those years in a row, because, you know, I was doing something that no one else was. You know, I was good at my job, yeah, but I was also doing something different. And I've taken that very much into pink camera recruitment. Um, you know, I'm always on about the girls posting, but it has to feel natural. I don't think there's any point of putting something out there if you don't want to post it. So I'm always posting on LinkedIn and just not only posting, you know, if we're hiring or jobs or something like that, but posting, trying to help people, posting personal stuff, you know, but with the fine line that it's not Instagram or Facebook. So, yeah. you know, LinkedIn is social, is social network for professional purposes. Um, and it's not Instagram or Facebook. I think there is some people out there that do get that wrong, but there is a fine line. So yeah, just building a brand, building a following base. And now, yeah, nearly 100,000 on my personal one, which is amazing. Um, but it's where I do 100% of my business. So if you're not using LinkedIn, use LinkedIn. <laughs> like it is just the best tool that we have access to. And it's free. Yeah. But I love your LinkedIn presence. I think you're a fellow LinkedIn advocate from what I see. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm still far away from, from where you are, but definitely I've been on LinkedIn now for some time. And this is how we connected as well. It was, yeah. yeah. Do you know, it was something as simple as just typing in investments. And I was like, hmm, let's see if I can find anybody. And you were number one and your name stood out because it's so unusual. And then I know when I've made referrals to my friends and family and I've said your name, they said, oh, that sounds like a TV character. <laughs> like it's, it's memorable though, isn't it? Um, and then your name said that and then I contacted you and then, yeah, the rest is history. And then I guess we're here yeah, we're today. Here. And, and there's so much that can happen and so many people you, you, you can see and exposure, but also so much people cannot be seen. Uh, but I guess through LinkedIn, you can target them uh, very well. And um, like, for example, reaching the people that are, are in good jobs, but are not actively recruiting, mm -hmm. which is so important. For, uh, for for your field, for example? Yeah, definitely. We use LinkedIn every, every way to, to onboard new clients, to contact new hiring managers, to access talent, um, you know, so it, it's crucial in every single element. And um, I went to LinkedIn offices the other day because we won an award. Mm -hmm. And uh, their offices, by the way, are very Google-esque. They're very cool. Mm -hmm. And I said to my account manager, I said, Rami, you've got to up this connection limit. I said, it, it's killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and he went, he went, just don't get to 30,000. I said, but when you're using it properly yeah. and when you're connecting, he said, well, you should only be connecting with people that you know. And I don't really agree with that because it is social networking you yeah. know it's not your facebook and your instagram where you are just friends with you know with friends and family linkedin is completely different and whilst i don't agree with spamming mm -hmm. um i do agree with networking and you know i constantly meet people for coffees and everything that you know i'm not necessarily doing business with but i've met on linkedin and i think there's some connection there um so i think linkedin is so much more than that yes um i mean they have a, they have a nice office uh I was there also some years back, and it's just that uh, 
at the same time, they uh, they they changed when they got bought by Microsoft. Mm. Uh, it there was much more possible before that time, and yeah. Microsoft is is you know put in you know their um, the system in it. They're very good at tracking. For example, if you if you use bots and stuff like this, they are yeah. yeah. But the algorithms, the algorithms, you just have to understand how the algorithms work. <laughs> because Katie, she posted for the first time in quite a while the other day, and it was a really good post. And it only got like three, eight, three or four likes, I think. Yeah. And like, I'll do a post, and I'll get hundreds of likes, sometimes thousands. And she's like, well, why do you get all of this? Because she's got a good following base as well. Yeah. But the LinkedIn algorithm works that if you're not posting regularly, then your content is pushed down to the bottom. So you'll find that somebody who's posting frequently, you're seeing it at the top of your page, not only obviously because they're posting more frequently, but the LinkedIn algorithm likes it when you're posting more often. So it'll push your content to the top, obviously creating more exposure for your, your post, your page, your brand, whatever you're building. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a secret formula there where <laughs> certain people get more attention than others. Yeah, uh, I asked for some insider info on that. He wouldn't give it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, how does it work? And he was like, no, can't tell you. I was like, is it to do with posting? He went, maybe. But yeah, just from, from what I've seen, it is definitely to do with posting. And it's also to do with um, how full your, your LinkedIn page is. So if you're missing off any information, like if you don't have skills or endorsements on your mm -hmm. profile, or you don't have a bio, or you haven't got your full work history, your profile is also going to be ranked down. Mm -hmm. So it's all about playing with the algorithm and making sure that you've got enough content in your LinkedIn. Um, but for any job seeker out there, your LinkedIn should be a complete representation of your CV. So anything that you'd have in your CV, you would then put in your LinkedIn profile. I think mm -hmm. it will kind of, in a way, make CVs obsolete one day. But until then, the two yeah. should be the same. And I think it's also, uh, it can be a great tool to, uh, to showcase yourself. Uh, and, and if you utilize it properly, then, then there's, there's a lot of hidden gems there. Uh, and at the same time, when I go through, uh, I always do a background check before I talk with somebody on LinkedIn. Uh, and sometimes I just see things, I'm like, Okay, you can be creative with your job title, but yeah. there's there's a limit to how big you can make <laughs> yourself. And some and, and like, yeah, because LinkedIn will not limit you. You can put your own title there. You can you, you anything is possible on LinkedIn. Yeah. So you have to be careful as well because you don't want to send the wrong message and you don't want to say that you're this big CEO of this huge company if you're not, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, if you're a recruiter, you can put yourself as a purple squirrel hunter if you really mm -hmm. want to. You know, there's, there's all of these possibilities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's, it's definitely a, a great tool to have. And personally, I think you will also 100% um, agree with that, that uh, if, if LinkedIn would disappear tomorrow, we will be very sad. Don't ever <laughs> maybe, mention those maybe words. Maybe even more than sad. <laughs> yeah, we would be, we would be mortified. I mean, I don't know what we'd do because in the UK, we have job boards, you know, mm -hmm. we have lots of them and they're very, very good because anyone who's looking for a job on LinkedIn typically puts their CV on a job board. Here, not so much because especially when we're focusing on technology, there isn't really a job board that does focus on technology. Yeah. So for us, we can't really utilize uh, job boards at all. And it's especially because if you're overseas, you're not going to be on a local job board anyway. And there isn't a global job board, if you can believe. Huge gap in the market for somebody. Um, 
so yeah, if LinkedIn was to go, uh, how would we access talent? How? There isn't, I don't think there is a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you will go back to the, to the old days, but that doesn't mean that that's an improvement. But mm. let, it's, it's not going to go it's away. Gonna, it's still there, <laughs> so we don't have to think about that. Mm -hmm. um, and also for, for people that are maybe want to start in their journey for, for setting up their own company or people that already are having their own company, uh, what kind of advice would you give them that can help others or a piece of advice that you found out in business yourself where you were like, okay, I think this, this is useful that to share with other people. Yeah, I think definitely, it sounds so cheesy, but just honesty and transparency. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stand it when working for companies and there was just, you know, a kind of them and me attitude and they, they would be very kind of um, secretive with, with things. So honesty and transparency is super important. But like I've said before a couple of times now, just retention and focusing on the staff that you do have rather than trying to grow either too much or too quickly. Um, because, you know, as I said before, if you don't have retention, then you don't have growth. And if you do have growth, it's, it's superficial growth. It's not, you know, actual growth. So those two things and just work hard, lead by example, and just do things what you wish someone would have done for you, I think are the only bits of advice that, that I could give at this point, other than everything that I've said. Oh, and use LinkedIn, of course. Yes, and when, you, when, when we highlight or the part of retention, how damaging is it for a company if they use that top if they lose their top performers? Well imagine that your top performer has access to all of your top performing clients. And obviously within everybody's contract you have a clause, you know, a competitive clause and everything like that. But you know, there are ways around that, whether they relocate or whatever it may be. So imagine using not only your top performer but potentially your top clients. And if that top performer is managing a team, imagine if then that team has got no direction, so not only are you using your top performer you've got um, a demotivated team with no direction. So it could just have like a um, domino effect of negativity. So just compensating people fairly, but also treating them well is, is super important, not only to your top performers, but to everybody, whether it be the receptionist to, to the MD, you know, treating everybody equally and fair is, is crucial to a business success. Yes, uh, it seems so easy, but so often you see out there that uh, these mistakes are being made and these red flags are being ignored. Mm. But if you look at the staff's turnover, they're probably the companies with the highest amount of turnover. Mm. And um, look, no one wants to work for a company that has a high turnover because, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to be the next person that's walking out of that door. Yeah, yeah that's... That what can people do to uh, get a better understanding of what they're working into before they accept a job, before they join a company? So a lot of the time, I would recommend people speaking to people that are already there. So for example, we just placed um, one person within a leading bank and then we placed you know, a number of other people within the same bank. So we connected them to speak so they could actually have conversations with people that were there so they could find out, you know, is the job that they're selling me the actual job? And luckily in this case it was. So there's that and there's also Glassdoor, which is um, a review system for companies where you can see other employees' recommendations and reviews on there. So just, just networking in, speaking to people that are currently there and looking at Glassdoor. 
Um, because don't forget that companies in the interview are always going to tell you what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not always going to be honest with you. Not saying that that happens all the time, but most of the time. Um, do your homework. Yeah. yeah, is all I would say. Yeah, and, and what about uh, companies that are looking for talent that want to hire you know, those, uh, those good people? What tips do you have for them that so yeah if they they don't come by an agency because obviously we have various different things that we do so for example every single candidate that we speak to has two interviews here with the team we typically have a hr interview and then a tech interview before shortlisting to the client um after that we then do reference checks so if a candidate gets to offer stage we conduct two or three references from companies that they've worked with so they're guaranteed then i mean nothing's a guarantee but it is it's a pretty safe option so if Candidates aren't coming through an agency, they should always reference check, ask for two or three of their references that they can contact just to make sure, you know, what they're saying on their CV and what they're saying in the interview reflects within the reality. Okay, yeah, so so these are great tips for, for if you're looking for a job or if you are, want to hire talent. Um, to, to end this podcast, I just want to ask you, is there anything you want to share with the audience, which I have not brought up or you have not brought up, or maybe you want to give a sneak peek on what is next? Exciting. So I have a really exciting announcement coming up. Unfortunately, I can't tell you today. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I'm going to um, a photo shoot for a publication literally straight after this. And then as soon as I've done that, I can tell you. So literally in a couple of days, I'll be able to reveal that information. And I guess I've got a big birthday coming up soon. So just preparing for that new milestone of my life. Um, and yeah, just growing and retaining. And I've got some, yeah, super exciting publications coming out. My first publication. So this is my first podcast and then first publications. And then it's going to grow from there. So yeah, wait and see. Well, Molly, I'm so glad and so grateful that I could have you here um, on your first podcast um, for, where you are speaking. I'm sure there will be more in the future. Um, Hopefully not. <laughs> I would never rule it out, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> and for the people listening, well, you heard the story of Molly Powell and her great company, Pink Camel Recruitment and Pink Camel Gifts. Um, you can check out their website or her LinkedIn for more information. <laughs> Thank you, Molly, so much for coming here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And it hasn't been that bad, actually. That's great <laughs> to hear. And maybe you'll come back one time. No. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye, um, everyone. Thank you.